This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abual Samet from Guidehouse Insights. Ooh. Oh, and I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. It sounds like Sam has some news. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, our, our company rebranded yesterday. As of yesterday, uh, as we record this, uh, you know, Monday, April 13th, uh, Navigant Research is now Guidehouse Insights. Um, we uh, we uh, um, were acquired, uh, Navigant Consulting, our parent company, was acquired by Guidehouse, uh, another consulting company, uh, a few months ago. And they've been, as we've been going through the integration, they finally we're ready to rebrand um, our part of the company to Guidehouse Insights. Everything else stays the same. You know, uh, we're still, you know, doing the same kind of market research, um, and uh, it's just a name change and uh, new new business cards. Same bat channel. Same. <laughs> well, actually, the bat channel changes because the the website um, changed to GuidehouseInsights.com instead of NavigantResearch.com. Oh, that's just a three hundred one though. Those guys have that. It's yeah. all done. <laughs> well, we we actually got a whole new website too. It looks oh looks fancy. So you still can't find the blog posts. But... <laughs> we should all check it out though. Yeah, yeah. Um, so good. Anyway, let's talk about the cars. The cars. The car. It's been a uh, crossover kind of week for all of us. It looks like. Um, should we draw straws or who, who wants to go first? Nobody Sam, wants to go first. Uh, no, oh. Sam, what do you have? Well, I had the uh, the Lexus UX two fifty eight luxury. Right. Um, in uh, uh, let me let me make sure I got the the color correct. Uh, nori green pearl. Well, so that's uh, the very is, pretty green. That's yeah, pretty. It's, it, it's it's a really nice looking color. Um, much nicer looking than the vehicle itself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, the UX isn't that bad. Yeah. It's, 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 no, it's 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 not bad. You know, I think it, you know it's actually a really nice size. Um, you know, it it drives pretty well. Uh, you know, it's got the uh, the two point five liter four cylinder hybrid combination. So basically, the same thing uh, that you find in a lot of uh, Lexus and Toyota hybrid vehicles. Um, or actually, sorry, it's a two liter two liter four cylinder, um, one hundred eighty one total horsepower. Uh, and you know, as I said, it, it drives well enough, you know, decent handling, ride quality. Uh, I think the thing that's always kind of annoyed me about the UX, uh, well, one of several things, but a couple of things. <laughs> um, but the thing that annoys me the most, I think, you know, is just the, the belt line is so high and you actually sit kind of low in this thing, you know, so you feel like you're sitting in a bathtub kind of peering over the edge, um, you know, and the, the greenhouse is kind of small. Uh, you know, the pillars, especially the rear pillars, kind of thick, uh, you know, so it's just you feel it's kind of claustrophobic feeling in some respects. And, you know, I don't particularly like that feeling uh, when I'm driving. So, you know, and, and when you look at it, you know, the it's got, it's, it's not a bad design, but, you know, you, you can see that that belt line is it's got a tiny little greenhouse, you know, on kind of a, a the everything below the belt line looks kind of bulky relative to the size of the greenhouse. Uh, you know, and it's kind of like an Audi TT, except not as much fun to drive as a TT. So, you know, it's, it's fine, but you know, it's not really my cup of tea. Um, and you know, the other big annoyance that I have with this thing is the, the Lexus touchpad, the trackpad for controlling the infotainment. It's funny, my, my wife and I, um, you know, we're going to, we went to uh, the park uh, to take the dog for a walk along the river. And, 
you know, she went to, she wanted to change uh, what was on the, the audio system and she went to reach for the screen and I said, Nope, sorry, not a touch screen, uh, which I don't mind it not being a touch screen, but you know, the, the trackpad interface that Lexus has, you know, as we've discussed ad nauseum on previous occasions with, with other Lexus vehicles is, it's not a good interface. Um, but you know, uh, other than that, you know, for its size, it's reasonably roomy. Um, if you can get over that claustrophobic feeling, um, it's really fuel efficient, you know, averaged about 38 miles per gallon. And it's, you know, that's, was not much more to say, you know, it's, it's kind of a small cargo area. Um, the back seat, you know, is fair enough, you know, for a couple of adults, uh, it's not, not huge, uh, but you know, it'll do, um, you know, and, you know, it seems like it's got about three times too much grill for the size of the vehicle. Sounds like a Lexus. Yeah. <laughs> but that, uh, it's compact, right? It's like, it's not a. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a compact. It's, you know, it's the smallest, uh, Lexus, you know, it's considerably smaller than the NX, um, mm. you know, which is the, the next smallest one. So it's really, you know, more subcompact. Um, you know, so it, it is fairly small, but, you know, for its size, you know, it's got dec- a decent amount of room inside, but you just feel closed in. And really, you know, the price point at like 34 to 37, it's not bad. I mean, you know, to get yourself into a Lexus for that price is good if that's if yeah. if the and- brand name is the most important thing to you. Right. And, you know, this one is the loaded uh, luxury version, um, you know, all in. You know, mine came to forty three thousand six twenty five, including the destination charge, which is a topic we'll come back to later. Uh, destination charges, yes. but um, you know, it, you know, so this one had you know pretty much every available option, and you know, it also had support for both Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, which worked uh, worked fine. Although, again, using the touchscreen to interact with those does not work as well, or the touchpad, I mean, does not work as well as, you know, either a touchscreen or, um, you know, a controller, just, you know, just because of the nature of the way this touchpad system works. Um, you know, it's it's a, a relative touchpad, you know, similar to what you get on a, on a laptop, um, you know, so it's not like the, the touchpad that uh, Acura has in the RDX, you know, which is, you know, wherever you put your finger on the touchpad, that's, you know, the, the same location on the screen is, you know, where, where you'll be at. This is, you know, this, is, you can, you can be tracking across this touchpad, you know, a couple of times to get all the way across the screen. You know, it's just, it just doesn't work very well. It's, it's not really intuitive at all. Well, it's interesting because I, uh... I actually have the Lexus GS350 this week. Uh, now, that's not the vehicle I'm going to be talking about because I, I'm talking about the vehicles I had last week. But today, I actually drove down to Long Island because there's no traffic. And so I, I told you guys, I, I drove there and back. And it has, this this uh, 350 has a that awful touchpad. It did not have Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. And I actually, I was on the phone with my brother and another call came in and I didn't want to take that call, but it kicked off my brother's call off, off Bluetooth. You couldn't figure out how to reject the call? Well, I, I was or- just going to I wasn't going to bother with it. I was just going to let it because it wasn't it wasn't like bothering me. It was just I could see it coming in and I was kind of navigating some turns and I was like, OK, I'm not going to worry. But then I was like, OK, go away. So when I when I did decline it, it had kicked my brother's 
the call I was on, it kicked it off a of blue off of the Bluetooth, which I thought was bizarre. Yeah, so, that is pretty strange. Right. And it and, and it still was coming through my phone. Like when I went to look at my phone to see if I could reattach, reconnect Bluetooth, it was still showing that it was on Bluetooth, but it was only coming through my phone. So yeah. it was very bizarre. I, I wasn't that far from home, so I let it go. It wasn't, you know, but if I had been someplace that I could not, you know, that I like on a long trip or something, it would have been really annoying. But that touchpad is just well, beyond annoying. It, it is quite <laughs> oh, is it, Okay, but so which is worse, though, the Lexus touchpad or the Acura touchpad? Because it's like, oh, absolutely. Oh, the Lexus. Really? The Lexus is, oh, is oh, much worse. That mm. Acura touchpad also makes me crazy because they tried to do something that's like when they explain it, it sounds like it makes sense. But then when you try to use the thing, it does not make sense. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, it picks up where you put your finger. I'm like, I just that's not how touchpads have worked. So it's not how I expect it to work. I don't know. I Well, my my issue with the Acura is more that it it's not it's like they don't have um, I think it was on the RDX. They don't have a place to hang up the phone. It requires you to do like two different steps. Mm. It's they fixed it. I, I believe they've they now have that. But it, when I first drove one, and it's so funny because I you know I love our Acura people, but they're always like, "Well, let's just sit down and show you the system, and then you'll understand it." <laughs> and I'm just like, "You guys, that it should be more intuitive." I get that you know we only have it for a week, but after a week it should be more intuitive and it just, it's just brutal. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've never had an issue with it, but you know, that's just me. I'm, I guess I'm a little weird. No, I, I think that um, I, they really need to, to have people who are not close to it, use it. Cause it's, it's not into, none of them are really intuitive. So it's funny because when I was at CES uh, and this is something I really need to look to, uh, reconnect with we were talking about the testers uh, in this case it was phones but i think it translates into infotainment systems and he said yeah you know we're really working on trying to expand our pool of testers because they do tend to use people that are very comfortable with tech and while i'm i'm the worst kind i am both an early adopter i'm an early adopter but technology hates me. And so <laughs> I can. No, you're the it. best kind of tester. Right. No, see, well, I should you, be. Exactly. You, you are exactly the type of person, it, you know, you're the, you know, a normal person, you know, someone who is not, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying this in any sort of derogatory way. Right. But you're not a tech geek. Right. You, I mean, you are, you are a very typical tech user. And so that, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, makes you very representative of the general population, which would make you an ideal tester for, you know, for technology. Right. like this. Well, that's what they were. That's what he was saying yeah. was that, you know, we really need to expand our pool because I like to try different tech. Like I, you know, I, as I said, I'm, I'm an early adopter. I like to try all these different things. It's just that if you need technology broken, I am <laughs> your girl. Well, but so here's, the, here's the thing though. Like um, tech is very much like uh, it's almost like the same idea of I didn't have time to write you a short letter, so I wrote you a long one. It's there's this idea that it needs to be complicated to be sophisticated, and I think that's actually the exact opposite. Uh, the true sophistication 
comes from people who have put in enough time and streamlined and refined it enough so that it's very easy to use. It is at its essence. Uh, and I don't really see that happening with a lot of lot of tech, uh, especially the tech in cars, where you know there's lots of extra steps. We've got stuff hidden in places. It's it's like they didn't they didn't or couldn't get far enough away from it to just sit their grandmother in the car and and have her figure it out on her own. Because when they have to, like, but it's and it's not like well, clear, clearly no one at Lexus had yeah. their grandmother <laughs> I mean, uh, sit in the car when and, they when they watched the touchpad, which is hilarious because who is their target audience these days? Oh, exactly. Well, it's but, not their target; it's their well, actual not, audience. I, and I'm not <laughs> trying to be reductive either. Like, I think it's it's the mark of well designed technology that it's it's just it's easy to use. Um, you know, I think it's intuitive. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. I use a lot of complicated stuff. And, you know, eventually I, I will figure the most complicated Byzantine stuff out. But I've the stuff I have loved forever is are the things that are just easy to use. You know, you just you, you plug it in, you turn it on and it's there. <laughs> you know, like, the, the plug and play. Yeah. Well, and and to that point, and again, this is a, a vehicle that I'll talk about next week, uh, the BMW 840i it's oh oh my gosh i mean it's fabulous but holy crap those i i mean that infotainment system is not okay (laughs) i I still like i must be the only person on the face of the earth who likes the twirly (laughs) finger gestures and stuff i like that i i couldn't get it to work Ah, well it might have been disabled but uh no, yeah, no, no, could... no, because it told me it's it it would when I would like use the button, it would give me the little sign mm. to say I should have done this, but I couldn't get it to work. And then the other thing, and this is for next week, is the sunroof. But that's a whole, a whole nother issue that we'll talk about okay. later. Uh, but yeah, the BMW, I mean, there were just pages and pages of menu in there, you know, digitally, not literally. But, you know, it just I mean, the things that you could do, it was kind of fun to play with. And, and I did. I mean, I, you know, I did spend a good half hour going through each one and playing with it and, and working through the menus and stuff. Uh, and it was it was good to use. Like it was intuitive. You know, uh, Android Auto worked really well on it. It was very easy. But it just there's a lot of complexity there. So, well, we've we've crept anyway. on everything but the UX. So. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about the UX in well, here. I, like, I, I I already did that. Okay. So you know, are we done? Did we no, finish I, that one? Are we, yeah, we move on? yeah. No, I, I just just wanted to mention. Yeah, you know, just to finish up. You know, uh, the as I said, the one I had was the luxury, which is the top trim level, and you know that comes equipped with everything. But even even standard equipment on there, you know, includes you know all of the driver assist features. You know, and this is something that Toyota and Lexus are doing on all their vehicles. You know, so they've got things like pre-collision with um, pedestrian detection, um, adaptive cruise control, lane tracing assist, um, you know, uh, blind spot monitoring. All that stuff is standard equipment. Um, and it is across, and most of that is a standard across most of the Toyota and Lexus lineup, which I think is a really good thing. And unfortunately, most automakers are going down that path. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, the, You've also got uh, support for um, Amazon Alexa built in here. Um, and uh, what else? Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, you know, that's the main step. You got the usual things like, you know, automatic dual zone climate control. But, you know, that 43 grand, you know, it's it seems a little bit steep for, you know, for what this is. Um, 
but you know, if you like the way it looks, you know, it drives well. Uh, you know, it, it's you know, it's got decent, reasonable performance. So, you know, and it's very fuel efficient. So, if you if you're looking for a small premium crossover, and you don't change, uh, you know, the radio stations or podcasts very often, um, you know, then it's not a bad. I option. mean, I honestly think that they have hit a bullseye for their target market, which is not us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, you know, and speaking of forty three thousand, it's interesting. I just glanced down uh, because the Subaru Ascent that I had this last week is was forty three thousand as well, and that's a you know seven or eight passenger. I mean, that thing is yeah, right. I th- I thought it was fantastic. It's no Lexus though. Let's let's talk about it because um, that like that's uh, certainly the Ascent is the biggest Subaru there's ever been. It's their yes, their sort of big utility, big crossover. I I like it. Um, it's got it brings Subaru-ness into the into that segment, so it's a it's a good move for them. Uh, what did you think about it? Was this was this your first time with it? It was. It was my first time with it. I really don't get a lot of Subarus, so it was nice to have the opportunity to drive it. I I really liked it. I mean, I thought it was super comfortable. I thought it was really. It just, I enjoyed driving it. I, the CVT was a little annoying at times. There were definitely places where it sort of downshifted where I would have preferred it not to have done that. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, overall, I think the interior was super nice. Uh, They just did a really good job with it. You know, I, I really liked it. I think it drove smaller than it looked. It had a nice level of of insulation. So it was, it was quiet. Uh, you know, the visibility was really good on it. The, in, the, you know, the whole layout, the infotainment system, everything that you kind of want, you know, there's tons of cup holders. Like I just felt like it was just a really good, it was, a, it was a good family car, huge sunroof. I, uh, you know, I just kind of had a good time with it. It just, it's one of those cars that like when you get in, you start to drive it, you don't feel like you've got to fish around for things like things were, were ergonomically where I wanted them to be. And I like that. I think that's important. Yeah. I, that's Subaru's um, shtick, right? They, they're simple cars to operate. They're friendly. I found it actually kind of like pleasant and relaxing and familiar in that sort of like every, everything right. is as it's, as you'd expect it. Um, which is exactly. like, that's, that's hard to do. Uh, it feel, looks and feels just like a Subaru. I think the the CVT and the uh, I think that has the it's, it's got the two point five liter turbo, two point four liter. Okay, yeah, and it's a CVT with eight speed manual yeah, mode. Is what they like, call that's it. Ridiculous. <laughs> manual yeah, mode and a CVT crack mode. <laughs> um, but it, it 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 generally feels pretty good. The CVT helps um, multiply the the torque from that engine. Uh, so, it, you know, it's, that's basically like, I think that's basically a WRX engine. And so it, it pulls it around pretty well. It does. Uh, it's, it's the biggest, heaviest Subaru. So it kind of feels a little bit out of breath sometimes when you, when you need max, max yeah. performance, but otherwise it's, it's okay. It's uh, generally competitive. Um, so yeah, I, I liked it. What trim was it? I had the um, limited. Okay. So the, so the, the base model i think starts around 32 this one was 39 and then it had the option package with the Harman Kardon stereo although that was not great that was the only thing that 
Jake and I were driving around and we kind of blasted it at one point and we kept trying to find, we kept playing with the treble, the bass, trying to adjust the levels and we just couldn't get, it was really tinny. I think that was the one thing that we really were a little and you know when you, you want that DX7 to cut right through in Paradise City, exactly. you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it was it was very interesting because I had the Toyota Highlander also, and you know they're very competitive oh, against and, each other. And, and that stereo was great. So that stereo was much was better, but the car itself, I. Uh, no, because uh, I, I bet and this is just total inside baseball. I bet the Harman Kardon and the, the, the high end stereo in the, the Highlander. Oh, it was the yeah. JBL. I'm sorry. Those yes. are both Harman. Yeah. <laughs> same. Same. Company. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, there, there's Harman has like they a dozen a different audio brands. brands. Yes. Yeah. 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 Almost I mean, every manufacturer has something yeah, from Harman. Yeah, exactly. But they, but they were they were the treatment that the end result was quite different. Yeah. I will say, tell you, though. That I was disappointed with the Highlander. It had a very tinny feel, especially when you open and close the doors. There was not that nice thunk that you want in, especially a vehicle that's fifty three thousand dollars. You know what? Um, I mean, and the Highlander is all fifty thousand. I'm sorry, fifty thousand. Highlander yeah. is the newest in the segment. So how does it compare to the Ascent, which is a? It's like three years old now. I know, but I mean, really, you know. Because they are the same class. I, they are, and you know, this is what I said on on the site. I said you're never going to go wrong buying the Highlander, but I do think that it's worth shopping around because when you think about what you get in like the the um, Kia Telluride and the Hyundai Palisade, did I mess that no, up? That's no, right. that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, the, the, I I wrote it and then I thought, wait a minute, uh, but you know. The this Highlander, I don't know that it moved the needle enough. I don't know that it raised the bar like the Telluride and Palisade have done in this seven or eight seat passenger class. Like I just yeah no I I I agree. I, I think the 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 one place where where the Highlander you know is really exceptional is if you get the hybrid and um you know then fuel economy is you know there's there is no other sure. three row sure. suv that comes anywhere close to that absolutely other than that you know the rest of it you know it's fine but you know compared to compared to the palisade and and tell you ride you know it's it's just not as good i know i know and that's what and it's you know again it's a toyota like it's sort of like one of those like how do you criticize that but that's just the reality of it i gotta tell you too i love the fact that uh, in the Subaru, I, I actually loaded a bunch of stuff. Uh, we went, we were doing work in my mom's house and we took a bunch of stuff to storage and that thing packed it. I mean, it was awesome. So we got a ton of stuff in it. And then we, I was able to use that cool camera. I don't know what they call it, but like where you can see outside the, um, you know, where it, you don't see the inside of the car, but cause it's like the surround view. No, it's like with the with the rear mirror where you can flick it forward. GM has it oh, in a lot of their oh, vehicles. The, yeah, the ca- the camera mirror system. The camera mirror. The camera yeah. mirror system. <laughs> That's what I used. So it was fantastic. You know, I had a car. I had a, I had a car load full, and I was able to just you know really easily 
see out the back. The other thing I loved about it, about the Subaru was that it had a really nice, con- very convenient wireless uh, touchpad, a wireless charging station right in the middle console. Again, super easy to use little button. You could tell right away that it was on and it was just, you know, it's just, again, one of those like quick and easy ergonomically friendly things. So I just, you know, I, I think again, the, the, you're not going to go wrong with the Highlander. I do think that there's so much competition and this latest one, I don't know that it raised the bar enough. I think that, that there's, I think that, you know, it's for me, it's really hard to beat that tell you right. Do they need to like how much do they need to raise the bar though? They have a lot of, you know, satisfied customers, billions and billions serve, right? Like well, that's what I'm saying. Right. Is that you know, it's fine. It's just that for new entries, for people coming into this segment, it's worth a look around. Yeah, oh, I, I agree. I, I'm, I'm curious, what what did you think of the design of the uh the new Highlander? So it's very Lexa, Lexus-esque. I mean, from the back, you know, and but I think that it's it's a nice design. I mean, it's I think it'll age fine. It's 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 nothing. You know, nobody was stopping me in the parking lot to ask me what it was. But uh, I mean, it's certainly a departure from the last generation. Yeah. And I think one of the things that struck me about Mm -hmm. looking at it, you know, there's there's like elements of the Supra in there, you know, like in the wheel arches, the the arc of the wheel arches. Yeah. And. They, you know, for a big utility like that, uh, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure I'm crazy about you know that that effect on there. You know, I think I, I actually, to me, I actually prefer the previous generation, the design of the previous generation Highlander better. You know, it was a little kind of chunkier. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, a little, a little more like an SUV. Yes. Um, yeah, and th- this one is you know smoother and sleeker. Um, you know, a little sportier looking. Uh, but you know, not, you know, just, I guess less, less truckish than the last one. But so, but that's, that's, what's so interesting though, is that I feel like the more traditional brands like, 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 uh, Toyota are going softer. Whereas mm-hmm. like the Kia Telluride and the Palisade, those are very truck-like looking they're such big handsome vehicles and it's almost like like toyota and 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 to some extent subaru as well they're trying to sort of disguise the fact that it's a seven seater as if something you know sportier is cooler but if you do a nicely designed truck like the palisade or the telluride you know i think that it can go a Hi, long Lucy. way i think that that's <laughs> yeah exactly Lucy. <laughs> Lucy, welcome. Um, but yeah, I I don't think that Toyota necessarily has the has the same thing to prove as um, a Hyundai and Kia do, and so they're staking out territory that's a little bit different, um, and that's that's good. The differentiation certainly does set them apart. Uh, their product also has to s- s- compete with Toyota in in the traditional areas where Toyota excels. And I think they they probably will, uh, but that's one of those things like you know the the stupid time will tell trope. <laughs> like we we don't have any <laughs> other way of knowing. No, but. you're right. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, as you know, the one of the first things I mentioned is that reliable durability. You know, the Toyotas are known for. So again, it's it's not you know it, it's 
there is absolutely, absolutely nothing wrong with the Highlander. There's a lot to like about it. It's a very, very good choice. But as we've talked about before, when you're looking at a $50,000 price point, what else is there? What else is in the market at that price point? And so at 50, the Highlander is 50,600. I mean, you you get Durango, you can get. Well, exactly. That's yeah. what I'm saying is that there's a lot of options. Yeah, okay. You know, <laughs> the ascent is forty three. Yeah. The ascent the ascent is forty three thousand. And and I believe the the telluride is in that forty, you know, mid forty range. So you know, that's the thing is that you're just what are you getting for your money? You, you, you get there's a lot of choices, <laughs> a lot of very good choices out there at that price point. And you know, you you have you have the ability to um, you know, to be flexible, you, you know, you don't have to necessarily tie yourself in to a Toyota. That's, that's true. Yeah. Well, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those were the two cars that I had. I mean, it was great. It was, you know, both of them were very good, solid, good, solid choices. I was delighted to, to, to get into spend some time in the ascent. Cause I was, I was very curious about that. Yeah. So. I, I like the ascent a that's, lot. I think it's a, a good play for a Subaru and it's priced. Well, it does its thing. You know, it's, there are no surprises there and there shouldn't be, um, you know, like, exactly. I, I guess there's no nasty surprises. All the surprises are, are good surprises. Um, so, yeah. Good, good, good surprises right, are good. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, so I had the 2020 Hyundai Venue um, and I, it, so I went down and, and picked this up uh, from our, our fleet guys, which is not how I normally do it, but it was good because I got to spend a bunch of time in the vehicle driving it back and i seem to recall that when you had this rebecca one of your comments was the transmission does wacky crap <laughs> it has a cvt i thought i really really liked it i mean i could i could have done let me okay. i'm gonna i'm actually pull, gonna pull, pull up, up your review. review uh and maybe you've noted it because so, i i like pretty much everything about it its styling is a little goofy um, but it's, it's fine. Like it fits with the family and it's just, it's a very, it's a compact, uh, crossover. It's, it's delightful in how it goes on the road. It, you know, rides well. It, I got out of the, um, the Yaris and into the venue, which is an interesting contrast. Cause I, I really like the Yaris, but like I said on the last podcast, um, I think on the highway, I would have some, some complaints and I did it. It's, uh, it's off. It's a little loud. It, doesn't have a ton of power. So merging is a planning exercise. Um, you know, all those things that you'd expect from, from a car like that, uh, nothing that's uh, a surprise there, but uh, those are, yeah, that's definitely a city car. Uh, it's, it's something that can go on the highway, but it's not really as in its element. It got good feel economy, like 40 miles to the gallon. Um, but it was, it was a little loud. It got blown around a lot by crosswinds. It was a very windy day. Um, when I went down and picked up the venue. Um, so the, the, the Yaris was getting pushed all over the road by, uh, by wind gusts. Uh, so going from that to the venue, the venue feels a lot more luxurious. It feels really nice for, for the price. You know, it's, it's quiet, it's refined in its movements. It has a lot of features, uh, that feel really modern and current, uh, that are easy to use. Everything is where you'd expect it again. You know, uh, it's just, it's a nice driving little car The the transmission did seem a little weird to me, uh, because there were times where I'd look down and it'd be like, 3,000 RPM. 
at like 60 miles an hour. What's going on? You okay? Um, but I think that's just, it had some headwind that it was dealing with and stuff, but it, that, that was the only part that really felt weird was the, the transmission does whatever it does, but. It, but right. You know, yeah, it's, I, it's, I actually, it's intelligent. I actually didn't write a review. I talked yeah. about it on a couple of episodes ago. So I'll have to listen because the thing that I remembered vividly about it was how much Jake liked it. Oh, and yeah. at 25, he's like their ideal customer for that, you know? Uh, and I have had transmission issues with other vehicles, but I'll have to listen back to it. It doesn't, it doesn't, but as you say, I, I mean, I, I am barely dressed right now. Hey, so. whenever you do <laughs> while you podcast, is your own, there's no, there's, Sam's the only one on a webcam here. Oh. <laughs> My gosh, Jesus. my brain is just fried lately. <laughs> um, but yeah, the uh, it's a it's a great choice for anybody who doesn't need something larger and in sort of any uh, any age group. You know, I could see this. Uh, I was thinking about my parents who are uh, in their seventies, and you know they they could certainly downsize to something like this, and they wouldn't feel like they're giving up anything. You know, if it's nicely equipped, um, and even with the transmission doing whatever with the ratios uh it's quiet enough and isolated enough from you that you don't really hear the engine ticking along at 3000 rpm it doesn't seem to care so that's that's another thing that uh it must just be working as advertised you know or as designed um so that it didn't really bother me it just was something i noticed oh if you're you know if you're if you're driving into you know if you've got strong headwind you know it may have been bumping up the rpm you know to get it you know, if if if, the, if it felt like there was a lot of load on the engine, you know, it may have wanted the engine running a little faster, get a yeah. little more torque out of it, um, you know, to you know, just to help it keep. Yeah, up with I the think load. It, you know, it's an it's a I think it's with a one point five liter turbo in the venue. No, it's a one point six liter uh, naturally aspirated. Then. I think <laughs> Dan is completely wrong. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I think I because I was just asking Jake because he was with me a lot and. Uh, and, you know, he was, we were trying to remember, too, you know, any CVT is going to just annoy me. But um, I do I do recall there's a particularly steep hill, but almost every car that is not, you know, a, a V6 high powered luxury is going to have issues with this hill. Um, but it certainly isn't a barrier to purchase. Yeah. yeah. No, not. Not at all. Yeah. And I just looked up the specs. Yeah. It's a one six. Um, and it's, you know, it's only got 121 horsepower and 113. Oh, it does, pounds just of torque. Fine for that. Yeah. 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 You know, the torque peaks at 4,500 RPM. So, you know, yeah, it was, it was probably just, you know, going, you know, going up to, you know, a little bit lower ratio, you know, rump, bump up the, the revs a little bit to give you enough torque just to keep up against the, yeah. against and the I, wind. So that's what I figured. I haven't, uh, I haven't had an opportunity to drive much lately. There's been a thing. So <laughs> I've been kind of home with it. Um, but yeah, I, so where'd you have to go to pick it up? Did you go to Hartford? No, I went down to, um, to Automotion here. So. Oh, oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Shea Bugsy. Um, right. And uh, <laughs> it picked it up there. Uh, so, and I, you know, it's interesting that we're all still getting cars. Um, I worry about the fleet guys. Most of them are retired guys. Um, and I worry about just the, the health of the fleets. You know, the automakers are parking cars. Um, and the fleet business is not a high margin business. So I'm, I'm hoping that everybody kind of 
pulls through and, and, um, so I have a different theory on that. I don't, I mean, are we done talking about cars? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I agree. I'm very thankful that we're still getting cars. I, I had some a PR person reach out to me today to see how it was going. And I said, look, you know, in the, it was, it was, you know, the, the vehicle that we were talking about, I had done a couple of Instagram posts. I had done a review. We had done wheel bearings about it. And I said, all those things I can do with a car and I can't do any of them without cars. So, you know, I think that, I think their plan is to try and continue to get us cars, but you know, when you think, and this is really off on a tangent, so you can pull me back if it's not <laughs> appropriate. But, so, you know, when you think about post-pandemic world, I wonder about whether we're going to have vehicle launches in the traditional manner that we we are used to, you know, flying off to some exotic location where they all bring us cars, you know, they bring, they bring the car, we, they bring us to the car, right? You have to look and say, you know, let's say a program is a million dollars. How many cars could they produce for their for their media fleet and send out to like the top 20 people that are going to review it and put in from, you know, and, and do a review? What's going to really be their ROI on something like that, on investing in their fleet as opposed to investing in this, you know, a week long festival of media launch well you know i actually it's funny you bring this up just this afternoon i was having a call with a writer from automotive news for a story he was working on and you know we were, we were talking about this you know because he, he was asking you know what my thoughts were you know on some of these uh virtual online launches you know that companies are doing you know hyundai you know did you know a, an online webcast for the launch of the elantra a few weeks ago that we talked about uh and you know some of these others and he asked if I thought that they would continue to do that after this was over. And, you know, what I told him was, you know, back in 2009, you know, during the recession, um, you know, the company I was working for at that time, um, we were we were actually doing a whole bunch of webcasts for a bunch of manufacturers, um, you know, and. You know, this was, you know, fairly early iterations of that, you know, the, the technology compared to what we have, what's available today with YouTube Live, you know, trying to trying to do the streaming of, of these events. You know, I, I was the technical director on this stuff and, you know, it was just a nightmare trying to keep these streams going. But, you know, they, you know, they were in a similar position where they were trying to save money, you know, you know trying to reduce the cost and, you know, they did this for about a year. You know, there were a whole bunch of events that were webcast like this. And ultimately, you know, as soon as things started to turn around and they had some money again, they stopped doing that. And they went back to, you know, the traditional approach of actually, um, you know, bringing people out. Like I know um, BMW, for example, did a couple of events where they would do just a single wave of journalists, you know. So rather than, you know, have three, four or five waves a whole week of this, they would bring out one group webcast the presentation, you know, and then, you know, have a small group actually drive them and then, you know, distribute the, the cars out to the, the fleet and let people drive them locally. Um, and they, they stopped doing that. And I think that they'll stop doing that again this time because you, you actually miss out on quite a bit, you know, when you don't attend, you know, when you don't get to meet up, you know, at, at these events, you know, we get to meet up with, you know, executives and engineers and designers, you know, and 
spend some time talking at length, you know, at, at least at most of these anyway, talking at length about, you know, what went into this, why did they do things a certain way? And you, it's harder to get that when you're not in person. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, I, I see it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, just, you know, the, the, the last thing I just wanted to say, you know, in the, the, the larger context of when you look at what the, the PR, the media budget is for automakers versus what their marketing spend is for advertising, you know, we're talking billions of dollars that major automakers spend annually and on advertising. And they still can't make an ad that and, sells a car. And, exactly. And, and, you know, their, their, to, their total, their total you know, PR budget, you know, yeah. for all these events and the media fleets and everything you know, is maybe 20 million, yeah. you right. know, for, no, for a big I, automaker. I so, understand that. you know, it's, it, it, yes, you know, they spend quite a bit on this, but in the, in the grand scheme of things compared to what they spend on overall marketing, oh, it's, it's, a rounding it's peanuts. Yeah. And, yeah. But I, as somebody who works in advertising, I, it's, it's going to sound weird. Um, but I think honestly, they need to invert what they do uh, for advertising versus um, PR. And and just outreach and getting things to the fleets and having you know events where where people get in the cars and I say that because that's really the only way to build excitement for the products is to get people to see it to touch it to feel it to talk to a person with it right there so they can point out all of the cool features that's all stuff that happens at a car show or I mean at a launch event um, or or one of the auto shows uh, you know with us journalists and then we take that back right and we've we've been given the company line and we can talk about that neat thing we can ask questions about our our ideas and our topics too so that is definitely something that the events um foster I, I, but i i think too there's that just that plain excitement factor um of the the car that it's it's a lot harder to put across with a webcast so i think we're going to see them come together with yeah. uh you know they've they've the technology is better now and they figured out how to extend their reach so their launches may be a larger reach because they'll have the live event and then they'll you can actually get that second tier of of journalists right yeah. that that you wouldn't necessarily fly in but you still want to try to get their audience you can right. give them the link to the to the webcast and and i i am in in no way suggesting that i want it to go Without the media launches. I don't think it's <laughs> going to. Yeah. I, if you do it right, you know, if you do a media launch correctly, if you utilize the time and the and the access, you get a ton out of it. I mean, I yeah. know that I I know cars better when I've been on a launch. Like even like like BMW, like I haven't been on a launch with them in a long time. And I and I have a hard time and, and Toyota too. I have a hard time with their infotainment system because I haven't had the primer on it. I haven't, you know, somebody hasn't sat down with me to go over it. Now, Acura, I have been on their launches and it hasn't helped. So I'm not saying that that's the panacea. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes there's no fixing. Well, you know, Acura, no fixin that's, they're really nice people though. They're, yeah. They do. I love their people. But I'm just saying that I think that there's, I feel like, coming out of this that you know it, it's sort of that that discussion of like now that the world is standing relatively still what what does this give you time to examine and it's all those things of like influencers 
what is the what is the actual ROI on influencers? Everyone sort of jumped on that bandwagon because they didn't want to miss. Right. But now, you know, especially with travel and leisure and all those different, you know, all those different parts. And so, you know, if we think about the fleet people, I just think that we may see more, maybe more strategic launches, maybe short, smaller ones. Uh, but I do agree. There's, there, there's really no substitute for getting to know the vehicle, getting to know the, uh, the manufacturer's plans. And certainly with a vehicle like a Jeep, where, you know, or land or Land Rover, where you get to go off road that I wouldn't, you know, don't, I don't think any of us really have the opportunity to do that. So, you know, they're still appropriate in many cases and they're very, very helpful always, but it'll just be interesting to see what comes out of it. I think it's, yeah, getting, it's always getting, getting to experience a vehicle in its natural element like that, you know, and what it's designed for, whether it's, you know, going off roading with a Jeep or, uh, or, you know, going to the track, you know, with a Toyota Supra, yeah. you know, uh, is, I think definitely helps you to understand what they're trying to achieve with that vehicle. Yeah. It's, right. and it's, it it's always an opportunity um, for, you know, when a big event happens for them to sort of reassess, you know, what's, what's working, what's not going to work and then how to ease back into it. So I, I think you're going to see that sort of pent up desire to, to actually have events. And so they're, they're going to be ready for it. Um, I don't think it's going to go away. It might, they, the, the cast of characters may shift, um, but that's, that's sort of natural anyway. Anybody else want to talk about uh, manual minis and the Genesis G80 and uh, delivery charges and the, the new Mazda 6 and answer some, we have yeah, to answer some questions this week. Yeah, let's, let's, let's do that. Okay. Um, you know, um, the manual minis, you know, nothing much to that except that if you've been shopping for a mini in the u.s for the past year or so um you may have noticed that there's no manual transmission option which seems totally anathema to what a mini should be um you know it seems like a mini without a manual just doesn't seem right uh but it, it's coming back uh, it's back for uh for this year um and uh it uh you know that's that's a good thing you know we need more manual transmissions i agree okay well and also uh, Cadillac released uh, their, what are they calling it? Blackwing or something? Oh, the Blackwing? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The CT4V Blackwing and CT5V Blackwing, uh, which I believe they will also have a manual transmission. Yes, they've confirmed. So and, that uh, will be fun. Oh, that's going to be with the Blackwing V8. They're finally going to use that engine in something? Uh, no, actually, oh. the, the Blackwing V8 seems to be more or less dead. Yeah. Um, fact, Why would you do that? Uh, yeah, so... so <laughs> So what what these are, you know, is the the high performance versions of the CT4V and CT5V, which you know when they when they released those uh, originally uh, or when they announced them originally, you know, the CT4V had a, a four cylinder turbo and the CT5V had a V6. Um, basically, now they're bringing back the engines from the ATSV and the CTSV uh, for these two. So the 6.2 liter uh, supercharged V8. For the CT5V Blackwing, and the CT4V Blackwing gets the 400 horsepower twin turbo V6. Uh, okay, and a manual transmission. I just like <laughs> and manual. Why would you develop a whole like a whole V8 engine? What the hell, Cadillac? Uh, well, first of all, you know that you know it's a twin ca- twin cam you know V8 engine, so it's pretty large. I'm not sure. I don't think it'll actually fit in either of those cars. It's too wide. It doesn't matter. They didn't put it in anything. 
well, they, they, they put it they put it in 500 ct6 v's right and that's it um you know i think you know the the core of that engine may end up being um you know part of a future uh iteration of the corvette uh, you know, maybe the, the ZR1 whoever, or, or yeah, you know. whoever managed to sell but, management on that project, they, they must be brilliant. Um, he, he works for Volkswagen. Oh, really? Now. You think that was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. How, how did he, was, was Johan who did that? Like, how, uh, I, I believe it was Johan that pushed that through. How do you manage to get that through? Like, it's such an asinine thing. Like, yes, we're going to spend, I, how, how much does an engine cost to develop? Um, a couple hundred million dollars. Oh, that's not as bad as I thought. I thought I was yeah. going to say it's got to be. Well, you know, it, yeah. it, dep- it depends. You know, I mean, if you're talking about, you know, tooling up a, a high volume, you know, production line for an engine, developing the engine in a high volume production system, you're probably t- talking about 250, 300 million dollars. Um, you know, in this case, you know, these engines were basically hand built. It was never meant to be a high volume engine. Uh, in fact, you know, um, you know, some of the components were built by Cosworth and, and, uh, you know, came from various other suppliers. So, you know, I think it turned out to be less volume than they, they even anticipated, but it, it, you know, it's still, you know, it was never meant as a high volume option for, for these vehicles. You know, it's funny a few years back when they launched the CT six, um, you know, I wrote something at the time about, you know, the end of, the Cadillac V8 because, you know, when they, they launched the CT6 without a V8 option, you know, just a, a cup, you know, a twin turbo V6 and a naturally aspirated V6. Um, and, uh, you know, Johan responded uh, on Facebook, you know, saying that, nope, there's definitely a V8 coming. You know, so I, I think he was the one that pushed that through. Huh. That's uh, okay. I, I'm sorry for the money that just went up in flames. <laughs> that because i'm sure it's a great engine i'd love to try yeah. it out it's yeah just me too never, but there, never there's been never been one in the press fleet <laughs> yeah uh okay sorry moving on the genesis g80 uh all new for 2021 yeah third generation of the original genesis um you know they they did uh an online reveal of that uh, as we were just talking about um you guys looked at this thing yes what do you think um I think it's got a lot of Jaguar in it, and I think that's good. Uh, I'm not as offended by the large grill as apparently the rest of the world is. Um, I think they they have bought some very good designers, and they're letting them do very good design for all of their cars uh, across all of their brands. And this is just another example. They're really giving Genesis a personality, and I, I love it. Yeah, well, you, you definitely need to separate it apart from Hyundai. You know, if you're going to have a separate brand, you know, it really needs to be set apart from from the mainstream brand. What do you think, Rebecca? I. <laughs> that says it all. <laughs> no, all like I mean, it. well, I so I I have a lot of respect for Luke and Sung Yip, the two designers at Genesis. I I've met with them many many times. I I actually don't mind the front end as much. I do think the grill is enormous. It is big. Yeah, it is it's big. enormous. But I love like the headlamp treatment. I love how it kind of carries around to the side. I'm not a fan of the profile. I don't really like that big kind of heavy C pillar treatment. Yeah. 
I, I, I if that were the one criticism, yeah, it does look heavy towards the rear with that seatbelt. Right? Yeah, it just it. I, I don't know that one. That's the my only my only issue. I can't wait to see it in person. I think the interior is going to be gorgeous on it. I and maybe you know again, like this is to our point of talking about you know seeing things online versus in person. It can be very very different, and so you know I I I think the front is really cool. I. I'm reserving judgment on the, on the side and back. <laughs> I, I like the profile. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not as offended by the back as, as you seem to be. Um, you know, the interior, you know, definitely seems fabulous, you know, very much like the, uh, the GV 80. Yes. You know, and, and clearly, you know, this is a car that was meant to debut in New York this week for the, for the auto right. show. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and obviously that didn't happen. Um, but, you know, looking at the, you know, the one photo we have of the interior, you know, you can see it's got a lot of the same elements, the, the knurling on the control knob in the, in the middle uh, and on the, um, the temperature control knobs. You know, they, they've done a lot of the same kinds of detailing uh, that they did on the GV80. And, you know, I think it look, the GV80 looks fabulous inside. So. That interior is gorgeous. I'm yeah. definitely looking to forward to trying this out. And and I, I do like the, the effect that they've done with the headlights, you know, kind of the two you know, stacked, uh, slim, horizontal headlights, you know, on each side, you know, two of them, one above the other with the, the, uh, the signature lighting there in between. Yeah. Um, I think that's I think really cool. Yeah. It's a really nice effect. This is definitely another example of where seeing something in person can give you a really different impression of something. Well, what's the, and what's the sort of meat and potatoes about the car too? Like it's a new platform, right? So it's, it's, uh, it's based on the same architecture as the GV80. So, which is their, their SUV. Um, you know, uh, so it's a, it's a rear drive platform you know, as before, um, you know, lighter, stiffer, um, three engine options globally two for North America. I think the the 2.5 liter turbo four cylinder, um, and also a 3.5 liter twin turbo V6, uh, 380 horsepower, 304 horsepower. Uh, and in some markets, there will also be a diesel, uh, but we certainly won't be getting that here. Yeah, I think this also very much represents, you know, the work that Manfred Fitzgerald, who came from Lamborghini to run Genesis, he is now he has now been kicked out. But I think it represents <laughs> his, you know, his vision of the brand and and his team most of his team is still in place there as far as i know but i think this is you know the gv80 is one of the first vehicles that really had more of their stamp on it and so and and they were very very adamant about making genesis different and separate from hyundai it's not always easy to do that but that was you know one of the things that was really one of their their tenants of the brand yeah, well, I mean, if you're going to have a separate brand from Hyundai, you know, and and force dealers to invest in separate showrooms, you know, you you really do need to make it quite distinct uh, from the mainstream brand. And you know, they've definitely moved in that direction with the with the design. You know, it's it's quite different. It doesn't look like any Hyundai. Right, exactly. Yeah. And they did the same thing with the G90 because I drove mm-hmm. that back in, I think, December. Uh, and that, again, is very distinctive, enormous grill, but has a lot of similarities to to this. So I think they've got that signature down, you know, and that we'll see run throughout the brand. Yeah, I think 
you know, it's funny, you know, both this, the G80 and the G90 both have this large grill. Um, interestingly, you know, on the G80, it's kind of, they've kind of sloped it back a little more, whereas on the G90, it's more vertical. And it, to, to my eye, for, for whatever reason, it, it doesn't bother me as much as it did on the G8, on the G90, um, just because, it, you know, it, it looks, it doesn't look quite as in your face. Uh, to me, I, I don't know. It, well, it's, it's a bigger it's a vehicle. Subtle, Maybe it's a little yeah. bit more proportionate. It's yeah, funny I mean, because it, oh, I'm sorry. It, it's you know it's a subtle difference, but it it just works better for me. Yeah, well, it's funny because I was just looking at the pictures from that launch, and I don't like that back end either. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe it's just we have different tastes in asses, apparently. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> but there's one for everyone. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I'm uh, just going to okay. leave that there. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. The, another rear drive sedan that's uh, coming up. Um, apparently the, the Mazda 6 is going to go rear drive for its next generation. Um, I, what do you think? I uh, initially, my, my initial thought was like, this is going to be the car that drives Mazda to insolvency. They're developing an inline six and a rear drive platform. That's going to sell, like not going to sell um, for a car that already, you know, even as a conventional sort of front wheel drive midsizer doesn't really sell all that much. Uh what the heck are they thinking? But then um, I, I, the, the car and driver explanation makes a little bit more sense. It, there's a, there's a Toyota angle here or a Lexus angle here. Um, is, is that accurate? Do we think? Uh, that it would be based on a Lexus platform or that the Lexus platform uh, that, that Toyota is, is having very much like what happened with the Z4 and the Super, right? So Toyota has Mazda develop the platform and they, they kick them some money for it and then they use it for the Lexus. That would make sense. You know, I mean, Toyota owns 20% of Mazda now. Um, so it would make sense to do that, you know, and get some economies of scale out of this. So maybe do a next generation GS um, or, or even the IS off of the same platform. Uh, you know, I think, you know, if, if Mazda wants to go, you know, take the brand a little more premium, I think it makes sense to do something like this and make it more distinct. Um, you know, I think, you know, on, on modern cars, you know, especially on, you know, somewhat larger cars, you know, the, the benefits of front wheel drive aren't as pronounced, you know, so you can afford to, you know, to go rear wheel drive, you know, and, you know, the other, the other aspect of this that's kind of interesting is that, um, not only is it a new platform, but also a new inline six cylinder engine, um, which presumably, you know, will share its basic architecture with their existing four cylinder engines. So, you know, probably the same bore spacing as the four cylinders, you know, same, a lot of the same component, you know, component set. Um, and it's apparently going to, uh, adopt the sky active X technology that we haven't gotten here in the U S yet, but it's been, it's proven to be quite popular in Europe on the CX 30 and on the Mazda three. Um, so this is their compression ignition, uh, engine technology, uh, you know, along with a mild hybrid. So, you know, that could be, that could be a really interesting, you know, pr differentiator, um, you know, and really set them apart from anything else in the market. Well, they have to do something. I mean, they've, you know, they've been struggling a bit, Mazda has. So 
You got to work on something. Hopefully this will be it. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, if it looks anything like the the vision concept from a couple of years back, I mean, you know, this thing will be absolutely stunning. Yeah, no, it looks I mean, I I hope they can execute on it because it is it is gorgeous. And again, we've talked about this before, but, you know, it's getting the brand perception up there. Products like this could really move it in the right direction. <laughs> Yeah. And like I said, you know, if, if Lexus ends up using the same architecture, um, then, you know, they, I think they've potentially got a real winner here. There's no other way that's going to happen, right? Like Mazda just, it's, it's expensive to develop an, a niche platform like that and they don't have anything else to go on it. So you're not going to get any economies of scale otherwise. So that's got to be the most logical explanation is that there's, there's going to be some platform sharing to, to go on with, you know, somewhere. Um, we're all very excited because it says it's got all the right words, right? Rear wheel drive, uh, inline six. Uh, I wonder if that actually makes it sell less though. So I guess we'll have to see, but um, that it, because Mazda is not a luxury brand, um, even though they're, tr they're trying to pull the brand up market. And we talked about that before. Um, I, it's hard to say when the right time to do that is this, this may be the right product and and they may be able to get out in front of it but it, it's looking dicey <laughs> from here like whether it's going to be a success or they'll take a loss on every single one and just you know they know that they're going to do that and they'll use it as a halo for the rest of the brand earlier on uh we alluded to um delivery charges and this is something that uh, rebecca wanted to to talk about a little bit um you want to lead us off yeah, so I just, you know, when I was looking through a bunch of stuff, it just occurred to me that just how how wide and varied destination charges have become. And this is something that every vehicle has on it and there's really no negotiating on it. But sometimes they, you know, when I look at these things, I think this is really, this is going to change your payment on a loan and not by a lot, but it's still, you know, I was, what, what kind of caught my, my eye was, so the Subaru is sent, it's $1,010. Uh, the Toyota Highlander, it's eleven hundred and twenty dollars. The Lexus, it's ten, it's a thousand dollars. And then on this BMW, which was a hundred thousand dollar car, it's nine hundred and ninety five dollars. So it's actually <laughs> less, which I was really, you know, very surprised about. I was expecting it to be more. The Bentley was about twenty five hundred dollars. Um, okay, they're making it up on the MSRP. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, okay, so my first question is, why is this not just rolled into the purchase price? Yeah, this this yes. is this is something that's always annoyed me. You know, it's not like it's not like you can opt out of paying this fee. Even even if you know, for companies that offer factory delivery programs. You know, even if you go to the factory and they never put that thing on a truck and ship it to you, you still have to pay that delivery fee. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So if if it's not an optional fee, it should be stuck right into the into the sticker price and just get right. rid of it entirely. Yeah. You know, right. And you know, I mean, if if you're if part of that fee is going directly to the dealer, you know, it's not going back to the manufacturer. Fine. I don't care. You figure that out in the back end. But the price that you advertise should be the price that include, you know, the total out the door price, 
less taxes. Well, and the thing is that so on the on Fiat Chrysler, on most of their product line, their that destination and delivery is fourteen hundred and ninety five dollars. That is yeah, that's just that's, insane to me. That that is nuts. I, I mean, that's fifteen hundred dollars. I just I I don't know. I, and I it struck me again, like as I was writing different things, just working on stuff, I was like, wow, that's just a lot. And and as, as I did some research, I when I was just and, I, and again, this is very informal. But from the from the research that I did do that, fourteen ninety five is one of the highest for a non premium product. Now, some full size pickup trucks sometimes are like like six fifteen ninety five or sixteen ninety five, so you can get up there for sure. But for a flat across the board, that fourteen ninety five is just really high. And and the other thing is that you know when you're looking at buying, you've got to factor that not only into your payment, but when you're looking at used cars, you don't pay that. And mm-hmm. so that's something else to think about, you know, looking at when you're negotiating for a used car, you're not going to be paying this destination fee. There's no way out of it. You know, it's not it's non-negotiable. And right. so you've got to you, know, you almost have to negotiate the price of the car with that in. Yeah. And, and even um, even the um, the Fiat 500 has that same fifteen hundred dollar destination. I know. Card. So as a percentage of the MSRP, it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, the the base five hundred starts at sixteen five, and then you're paying another fifteen hundred on top of that for destination charges, even without any options. So you're looking at you know what eight percent. Listen, for, yeah, for, I mean, buy the best, cry once. I mean, <laughs> you're you're getting a Fiat five hundred. <laughs> I, I love my little Fiat 500. So, but yeah, but yeah, it, it was just something that, you know, kind of came into my head today. And I thought it would be interesting to not only bring it to people's attention because they have gone up considerably depending, and they do vary so much across manufacturers. You know, let's, um, and it's just, you know, it's something else to, to keep an eye yeah, on. Yeah, I think, uh, I and we should have him on as a, a guest on one of the shows. Um, I have a, a a internet car friend who uh, spent time in the the automaker side dealing with dealers. Um, so like a zone rep, I, I'm not sure exactly what his position was, but um, he could probably speak to some of this stuff from the retail level that we uh, wouldn't have uh, considered um, having not having been part of the automotive retail uh, industry. Um, so we, we should we should try to get him on and. Um, yeah, I think that'd be interesting. Him with questions. <laughs> Why does it suck so much to buy a car? <laughs> um, now that we've figured out our technological, our tech, our tech stack, right? Like, <laughs> uh, well, and and to that to that end, also, I and I mentioned this last week, but looking at the at some of the the coronavirus relief plans, more manufacturers have come out with them. Jaguar Land Rover just announced yesterday. So if you, if you do have a loan through the manufacturers, uh, privately held or, or captive finance company, uh, you know, do look at it. And if you need deferred payments, there is opportunities out there for people. So shall we get to some questions? Yes, we should do the questions. Questions, please. We've solicited them twice. We should we should go through. So first one here from uh, William Maley um, on uh, Twitter. I said, uh, aside from delays in product launches, media events and auto shows, do you see any other consequences, both good and bad, coming from COVID-19? 
Um, certainly lots of bad consequences. Uh, either of you have some thoughts before I uh, dive in? I'd love to hear what you think. I just, I think it's okay. going to be that the sales are going to have a tough time this year, at least this year. Yeah. Uh, well, for several years, I think, um, you know, we, my, me and my colleagues have been working on uh, updating our sales forecasts uh, for the, the next decade, uh, you know, based on what's been going on. And, you know, we, we, we actually just had updated them recently um, before, you know, all of this happened. And we decided to go back and, and revisit those. And uh, we put together a report that we're going to be publishing in the next week or so. But um, basically, you know, the projection, you know, globally uh, for 2020 had been somewhere around 95 million vehicles. And we're currently forecasting about 65 million in a best case scenario for 2020. Wow. Um, and depending on what happens, you know, especially here in the U.S., you know, um, you know, if if we, you know, reopen the economy too quickly and we get you know, follow on flare ups of the of the infection um, and have to shut back down again. Um, you know, it could be much worse. I mean, you know, we could be looking, you know, down as close to you know, close to 50 million, um, you know, in a potentially in a worst case scenario. And even in that best case scenario, you know, we're not we're not project. We're not expecting to get back you know, to the previous trend of uh, sales, you know, or, or back up, you know, to, to where we had anticipated until about 2023 or 2024, because, you know, there's a lot of things going on um, right now. You know, obviously, you know, we've got, we're going to have huge unemployment through the remainder of this year. I mean, there's a lot of people out of work and a lot of people, a lot of those jobs that, you know, are not going to be there even when we open back up again, um, because a lot of small businesses you know, are not going to make it through this. Uh, you know, they, they just don't have the resources to, to keep going with no revenue. You know, this is unlike any previous downturn we've had, you know, in the past, you know, 2009, you know, when we had a, a big recession, you know, we weren't forcing, you know, entire industries to shut down completely. Um, you know, we, we didn't force restaurants to close and bars to close. So there's going to be a lot of people that don't have jobs to go back to um, when, when we start back up again. And, you know, then there's other factors like, you know, uh, for example, uh, you know, right now we've got the biggest work from home experiment that we've ever done. You know, in the past, a lot of companies had not, um, had not, you know, ever really considered letting their people work remotely. Uh, now they are, um, you know, they're being forced to do it. And, I think a lot of companies are going to find that, you know, hey, this actually didn't work out so bad. And so I think there's going to be a, a significant portion of the workforce that may end up working remotely on a permanent basis, either full time or part time on a, on a permanent basis going forward, which means you're going to have fewer people commuting. Uh, so there's going to be you know, less wear and tear on cars. The, you know, the lifespan of cars is going to increase for a lot of people. They're, you know, they're not going to need to own as many cars. You know, maybe a car, a household with three cars goes down to two cars or even one car. Um, you know, so there's going to be a, a lot of a lot of potential societal changes going forward uh, that are going to impact this. You know, and then on top of all this other stuff, you've got what's going on with oil prices. You know, oil prices are in the tank right now. Um, and if they 
don't go back up, you know, that's also going to put a lot of downward pressure on sales of EVs. Um, you know, around here, you know, there's, there's a lot of gas stations where you can find gas for a dollar a gallon, uh, which, you know, I mean, we haven't had <laughs> since I was a kid. So, you know, um, the, you know, the overall situation for the auto industry is, is going to be really bad. Um, and, you know, right now everybody's trying to conserve cash, you know, to get through this, this period. But, you know, even when they start building cars and selling cars again, uh, you know, they're going to be, you know, they're going to, they're going to have a lot less cash on the balance sheet than they do today uh, or the, or than they did a month ago. And so they're going to have to make some hard decisions about product plans going forward. And so some stuff like this Mazda six might not survive, you know, um, you know, other things that, you know, that we've seen and, and heard about, you know, might end up getting delayed a year or two, three years. You know, the stuff that's, you know, that's close, you know, that was going to launch this year and, and next year, they've already yeah, spent the money on that. Right. Those that's are like the, the sunk cost, They're right? Probably, like, you, look, you're not going to yeah. just, just put it out there. <laughs> Let it do what it is, whatever. Yeah. I mean, you, you've already, you've already tooled up the plant, you know, it, you know, it's, it's pretty much ready to go, you know, go forward. Um, you know, there will be some delays, you know, because of lost productivity right now, you know, in the final stages of testing and validation, but, you know, they'll, they'll end up going forward. Uh, so, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is going to be a, a bad situation uh, for quite some time to come. And we've touched on this in the previous podcast as well, but I think, you know, when we think about that, the potential for like 60 million versus 90 million vehicles sold. I think we also have to think about how, what different vehicles are, or, or what that mix is going to look like. And it's, you know, you can speculate all you want, but this work from home phenomenon, you know, is something that's, that's very, very interesting because, you know, the ability to, not commute even for once a week. I, you know, I, I think I mentioned last time, I, my brother-in-law and my former sister-in-law, who's still a very good friend, they each have, you know, three hour commutes to and from the city. And, you know, from the minute they leave their house to taking an hour train ride and then another half hour to get to their office and gaining that time back is really precious. And, you know, they, they're loving it. And it's very difficult, obviously, to work from home. And that's not ideal in many cases. Uh, my brother-in-law in particular, it's there, they work on big finance deals. And he said, it's just so hard to not have everybody in the same room. Like they often have like a war room, you know, when they're financing things like stadiums and stuff, you know, these are big, big finance jobs, uh, uh, projects that he has. So it's, you know, there, there's definitely opportunity and I can see a growth pattern for working from home, but it's also, I think there's also plenty of people that would prefer to be back in the office and to have everybody, uh, you know, at their fingertips and being able to go into different people's offices quickly and, and easily. So I know, you know, from working from home, with uh, when I worked for Kelly Blue Book and everybody else was in a different office, I was the only one that was remote, which is an, an unusual circumstance and not what we're talking about here. But it definitely put me at a disadvantage being in a different time zone and being remote. So I do also think about like companies like WeWork, you know, where they 
they ahead of their time in some ways. And, you know, there was a lot of other scandals, obviously, with that company. But the idea of shared workspace, you know, where you just have a temporary, you know, temporary offices, you know, or you have, you know, shared workspaces where you can go in if you need to. I think that is something that is a bit uh, in its infancy now, but could really grow as we change and and through this experiment, as you called it, Sam, you know, it could be really different. It could be a, it could be a brave new world. You know, obviously not everybody that's working from home today is going to continue working from home, but you know, even if 10, 20%, you know, I mean, we're talking millions of potentially millions more people working remotely and, you know, companies are going to look at that and say, okay, we don't need as much office space. We don't need as much commercial real estate. So, you know, you're going to see contraction in that sector. You're going to, you know, if that happens, then, you know, a lot of businesses that serve those companies, um, you know, are similarly, you know, going to contract, you know, restaurants and, and bars and dry cleaners, you know, that um, provide services to the people that work in those offices may end up going out of business as well. So there's there's going to be this huge cascading effect going forward. I, I'm anticipating a few things. No matter what really happens with any kind of decrees, there's going to be a large group of workers who have the ability to say, look, we've proved this can work. Let's just keep doing this until we're really sure. Because if we go back and we're not 100% sure, the disruption is going to then be much worse. So let's continue our, our business. And so those of us who can do it comfortably are going to still do it. Um, I think you're right, though, that economy cascading effect is, is we don't even know how bad that's going to get. And we don't know what the um, the measures to stimulate might be, you know, there's been chatter about a car, uh, a cash for clunkers thing. I don't, I don't really know if that's going to work. Um, and I, and I, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of cars people turn around and buy. Uh, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you've got tens of millions of people out of work, nobody's buying anything, um, you know, if, if you don't <laughs> right. have an income, you know, cash for clunkers. Right. Isn't then, help and you. so it's like some of those businesses that if we're, if we've seen a permanent relocation or a permanent move to a significantly larger group of work from home, we're going to see some of those businesses that are in the, the sort of more dense districts, the, some of them are going to move, right? Like the, the businesses will come out to where the people are because even work from home at a certain point during the day, uh, those of us who've been cooped up now for six or eight weeks, we're going to want to go get a coffee at lunchtime or something. So there's going to be businesses that pop up in our locales uh, to serve that need. It's not going to be the same. It's not a full, it's not a one-to-one replacement for sure. So there's going to be economic pain no matter what. Uh, so yeah, I think you're right. Like, is it a two-year recovery? Is it a five-year recovery? I, we don't, we don't know. It's going to be long. Yeah, it's it's going to be long and it's going to be deep. I mean, we're just continuing to add to um, a deficit, which is kind of what you do in a time like this. But we're we're not doing it in the smartest way either, and that's that's going to be really hard to pay back off, especially if GDP craters. You know, we got we got pretty lucky with the last downturn in two thousand eight that we we pulled up and out of that. Um, but if demand and, and global demand is another problem, like in in 2008, the, the U.S. had an economic problem and there was there were economic problems around the world, but not not to the same degree, you know. And, and so uh, when the world economy kind of 
stalls or slows down, that recovery just takes that much longer. So it's it's going to be a contraction in the, the automotive market, and, and it's going to change what we buy. Um, you know, in, in terms of looking for cars, I think you're going to see a lot more pressure on used cars uh, because they're more affordable. And I think that, uh, you know, tastes may change to something more practical, more durable, less frivolous, more efficient. Well, I think we're, we're having some some technical glitches here with uh, with audio. So I think maybe we should wrap it up and and come back to questions again next time. Thanks for listening to Wheelbearings. Find us at wheelbearings.media and on Twitter as at wheelbearingscast. Remember, there's only one vowel. That's the A in cast. We're also at Car Review Tweets on Twitter. Or you could just email us. That's feedback at wheelbearings.media. Thanks again for listening to Wheelbearings.